PowerPoint. I said I was, had worked on this PowerPoint. I was uncomfortable with using it the whole way, so I just cut it to the first four slides, and I was going to um, <laughs> just use them because I just want to be able to have the freedom to, to follow the Scriptures this morning and preach from the text and not be bound to that. Let the Spirit kind of lead us. And then a while ago, I realized I didn't have the little clicker, and I looked for about 10 minutes, and I realized maybe God done told me not to use it at all. I know it's up there. If you want to put the first one up there, you can, where they'll see where to turn to. But I want you to turn with me to Matthew 25. We're going to read a very familiar parable. It's part of Jesus' end-time teachings when he was asked in 24 from his disciples they asked him, he says, well, when is the kingdom come? When are you going to come back? When is your second coming? What are the signs? And he began to teach about the kingdom of heaven. This one here is my favorite one of the parables. It's in the first two, these two chapters that are connected together. And it's one that you've heard many, many times before. I want to call it, entitle it, The Tragedy of the Unprepared. Do you realize there are lots of people today, not antichrist, not atheists, not rejectors of God, but believers of God who think they are prepared and ready to go to heaven, but they're not. This text is given to us, the parable of the ten virgins, it's given to us to emphasize the importance of being ready for Christ's return. I hear everybody talking about Jesus is coming, like it's going to be a fix-all for everything. It is going to be a wonderful for those who are prepared and ready. But when you read this text, it's a heartbreaking thing to see that out of ten virgins who were invited, who is likened, that means compared to heaven, Jesus says, half of them wasn't ready and was not allowed to go. Half. I don't know about y'all, but as a, a professor of the word of God and a, a, a shepherd to to God's people, it breaks my heart to think that half of them thought they had something that they didn't have. I want you to read it with me this morning as we begin to read in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened, so he's comparing the kingdom to this story, to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The bridegroom, of course, is Jesus. These ten Wise, five wise and five foolish virgins represent people who profess God, believers, who believe in God. And he says, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. You could preach that one verse right there and probably have a good sermon. But at the midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you also. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him 
to the wedding, and the door was shut. And after which the other virgins, the foolish virgins, came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And then he gives us probably the most important verse that is what he's wanting you to do after hearing this story, which is a picture of a earthly thing that we can identify with to teach us a spiritual truth. He says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. If someone doesn't mind, I only got three other slides up there, so you could maybe go ahead and follow me. Put that up there and let's read that. Jesus, after teaching this story, this parable of a wedding, that he likened this story and these virgins and this example to heaven, he says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I don't know if you realize this, my friend, but if you're not ready today, and Jesus comes tonight, you won't ever be ready tomorrow. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day to get your life and your heart right with God and to be saved by his grace. For once Jesus comes back, the season in the age of grace is over and the kingdom will be entered in and inaugurated here on earth. And Jesus will be recognized as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, the true Messiah. So I want you to think about this if you look at it with me. The parable of the ten virgins is given to emphasize the importance of being ready for Christ's return. That's what Jesus is doing. He was asked, when are you coming? When is the kingdom going to be inaugurated? And so Jesus is teaching all these teachings in chapter 24 and chapter 25. This whole parable, the whole story is to make you take notice so that you will watch and be ready. As a matter of fact, we are to be watchful at all times, even if he delays longer than expected. And many people says, well, where is he? It's been 2,000 years. Instead of me looking at it, it's been 2,000 years. Is he ever coming? I think we ought to think, well, if it's been 2,000 years, we're probably the generation closer than anyone so far. He could come at any moment. If there was ever a time, 2,000 plus years, he surely must be coming soon. For when he returns, there will be no second chances for the unprepared who are not ready, my friend. And I want you to see this one, and we'll leave it up, and then we're going to preach this text. As believers, we should live prepared to be ready to meet our Lord Jesus when he comes. And my question is, are you prepared to be ready? Because anyone can say I'm ready. People can even believe they're ready. But are you prepared? Are you truly ready for when Jesus comes for the greatest thing that will ever happen the moment we stand before God? Friends, I don't know about y'all, but when I look at this, the tragedy of this story to me is that half of them weren't ready. The tragedy of this story is that half the virgins were not prepared. And since they were unprepared, they were not ready. And since they were not ready, they were not able to enter into the wedding. That's a picture of heaven. Could you look at us today and say, surely that couldn't be here in our group today? Surely? Let us not forget, though, the most dramatic point of this story 
is the first thing Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to these ten virgins. He's comparing entering heaven to this story, entering this wedding. Now, I'm here to tell you, as a man, weddings are okay. But there's been a few I wouldn't have mind missing. <laughs> but who wants to miss heaven? How serious is that? But you see, weddings were much more serious in their day. They were much more bigger. They was, you think, I've been to some humdingers. How about y'all? I was glad I wasn't a father of the bride and had to pay for it. But I want to tell you something. Weddings were seven-day events. Weddings were prayed not for months like some of us planned. They were planned for years, sometimes lifetimes. And they were everything that groom had he invested in going to get that bride. And he, he did everything to a very strict tradition that was based on religion and godliness. And I want you to think about this. What makes it so tragic to me, though, is that there are so many similarities between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. As a matter of fact, you couldn't even tell them apart till Jesus, the bridegroom, came. And some of us today look so similar. We're so much the same. We all look on the outside prepared and ready. But when Jesus comes, that will determine how prepared and how ready we really are. I want to talk to us a little while this morning about the many similarities between those who were ready, the wise, and those who were not. First of all, they were all part of the same wedding party. So that means they were all invited and all thought they had accepted the invitation. They all planned to attend. The unprepared virgins belonged to the same wedding party as those virgins who were foolish and unprepared. And they all were invited. I don't know if you understand this this morning. There's nobody here that ain't invited to heaven. And I'd be willing to bet that everybody here would tell us if we ask us to hold our hand up that you plan to attend. Can I get an amen? You think you're ready. But guys, listen. Not just anybody would have been asked to, to be a maid, a bridesmaid in a Jewish wedding. You see, not only had they been invited, not only had they planned to attend, but they all possessed similar lifestyles and moral behaviors. They were all virgins. The unprepared, were of the same character as the prepared who were ready. They all looked very religious. And today when you look at the church, we all try to keep the moral standards. We know there's certain things you can't go past and there's certain expectations in church. And Today if you look at most Baptists, and that's what I know about the most, I've pastored the most, we all have pretty similar morals pretty similar characteristics. And so these were chosen. The unprepared had the same general appearance as those who were not ready. Now I want you to look around today. Don't we all pretty much look pretty much alike? <laughs> we're not a lot different. We pretty much are 
much more similar than you would think, as were they. They were all virgins, women of good moral character that had been invited, who had accepted an invitation they thought and planned to go. But guys, I don't know if you ever studied about Jewish weddings, but there's another parable where a man entered in to the wedding of the king's son and he didn't have a wedding gown on. You see, you didn't come to the wedding dressed in any way you wanted. There was a required wedding gown. So apparently, it doesn't say it in the text, but Jewish tradition, and if you study out, we don't see the full meaning of this because we're not Jewish. I've never been to a Jewish traditional biblical old school wedding. But they would have wore what they called the wedding gown. You know the other thing apparently this? The unprepared had the same general appearance because they were all dressed the same. You see, they were all clothed for the occasion. And that's what we do. We go to church. We say our prayers. We read our Bible. We tithe. We do all the things we're supposed to do to hopefully clothe us for heaven. They were doing all those things. When you looked at them, man, they were upstanding young women. So the similarities are, are abundant. They all carried lamps, every one of them. The unprepared had the same sort of lamps, but not only did they have lamps, they all had a vessel that was able to carry a supply of oil. So apparently that was needed. You know why it was needed? Because as you waited for the bridegroom, you know what their job was? When the bridegroom came, we think, how uncommon for a wedding to be at night. That was the common time they came. They came at night. The first night was the night they consummated the wedding. He went to get his bride. The bridegroom's best man went, and he would say, the bridegroom cometh. And the wedding party would have been waiting. You know what their job was? To light their lamps and to lead the procession. As they would have went through the small villages, they'd have walked through the local neighborhood. Everyone would have heard the ruckus. They would have seen the lights. They would have known that he's doing it tonight. The wedding is beginning. Seven days of celebration. Man, I'm glad I'm invited. It was a thing you did not want to miss in your local neighborhood. And they walked with these lamps lit to not only lead the way, but to also make everyone aware of the coming event. So what was the most important thing? Well, you did need to have the right attire. You did need to be invited. And to be one of these that carried the lamps, you had to be a virgin. That's what the whole story is. It's ten virgins, apparently. And so they're all waiting for the Lord. The amazing thing to me is there were so many similarities that they all fell asleep and slumbered on the job. It tells you in the text. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But apparently the slumber and the sleeping wasn't that big of a problem because when they were awakened, they all heard the cry and the wise were still prepared. And ready. So listen, not only did they all carry lamps, not only were they all dressed the same and were clothed for the occasion, not only did they all possess similar morals, all were virgins, they were all invited, they all planned to attend. 
But they all had the ability to be prepared, to go. They had everything you needed. They had a lamp. They had a vessel. As a matter of fact, they even all heard the cry. Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Up till now, it looks like the unprepared foolish virgins had everything the prepared wise virgins had. Except the bridegroom came and the foolish ones weren't ready. So what happened? They look just like everybody else in here. We all look ready this morning. We all look like, okay, we hope Jesus is coming. We hope today is the day. But five who didn't even realize it themselves lacked something that they hadn't prepared for that left them unready. It blew my mind when I got to this point. I was like, it, it, it made me mad. It made me angry. It made me read this. It made me dig. It made me look. What did they lack? It reminded me of the young rich ruler who came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, he called him. Jesus said, who's good? No one's good but God. Well, what must I do? What do I lack? And Jesus said, go and keep the commandments. And he said, all these things I've done all my life since youth. I went to church. I walked an aisle. I shook a preacher's hand. I got baptized. I was in youth group. I got married. But Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. So there was one thing they lacked. That one thing, up until the day Jesus showed up, didn't really matter, did it? They looked like everybody else. But when Jesus showed up, that one thing became everything because they did not have real preparation what was this preparation? I believe with all my heart when they slumbered and slept together with the other wise virgins, even they, the foolish virgins, thought they were prepared and ready. I believe there's people all over in the church today, not out there in the world, in here with us every Sunday, no different. No different. They know about the invitation. They would tell you they've accepted it and plan to attend. They know that morals and certain lifestyles are required. They do their best to try to live them out. They know you have to be robed in a certain way. And so they do what they can to acquire those robes of what they think will make them righteous. And they are a lamp. You say, well, how do we figure out what's lacking? You keep digging in the text. You keep praying. You keep looking in other scriptures. You stay. You pray it through until God shows you to where you have peace in your heart. You look at other things. You compare with other scripture, other commentators. And I mean, I have dug. I was in this word all day yesterday. You see, what happened to them was what they believed apparently was faulty. Do you believe this morning it matters what you believe? 
Some people think as long as you're sincere in what you believe, is it that preparation enough to be ready? That was precisely their false belief that doomed them to be unprepared. They thought they were okay. They thought they had everything. You see, the bridegroom represents Jesus. That's very easy to determine. The virgins represent people who are professing faith in God. Some foolish who had a false faith, some wise who had a true faith. Five of each. What does the lamps present? I looked at everything that you could find, and I think out of all my studying, and I think what makes the most sense, the lamps represent their lives. That is their testimony, the witness, the heart of all those who profess before God to believe in him. You see, your life is a lamp. Your life is a reflection of what God has done since you profess to know him. As a matter of fact, I'm sure with all in me that a life that has no light has no life of God in it because God is light. How could God live in you when you have more darkness than light? Not that all of us don't fight the darkness, but Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8, verse 12. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light and life go together, my friend. Dark cannot be anywhere where the life of God is because that's light. And God comes into our lives. Not only did Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. He says in this same gospel back in chapter 5, he said, you are the light of the world. And he said, let your light so shine before men that when they look at you, they see your good works, and it glorifies your heavenly Father. Friends, I'm here to tell you, Jesus ain't coming back for a dead church that has no fire and no life to where there's no light. That ain't what he's coming back to get. So you're going to get to talk about works here in a minute? No. I'm going to talk about the sufficient supply of God's saving grace. When God saves us, we looked at it last week. You're born again. He puts his life in you. You see, what I think the most important thing here is what is the oil? <laughs> because that's the only thing they lacked. They had lamps. They were rightly attired. They had an invitation. They were morally acceptable to be part of the wedding party, apparently it looked like. But when Jesus showed up, they didn't have oil in their vessels. They had oil in that lamp. And friends, I fear sometimes. You see, oil represents in the Bible the supply of the Holy Spirit, the provision of the righteousness of God that fills the lamp of true believers with life that you can see that shines with the life of God. I could take you over and over. In the Bible, oil usually represents the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. To keep your lamp full means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, my friend. That's what they didn't do. They had some light in their lamp, but the vessel 
See, the lamps, what they had in their hand, but the vessel, they had to go somewhere to get that oil. They were so messed up in their false belief that even after Jesus shows up, the bridegroom, they thought they could go and still find them some oil and later still get in. Friends, if you ain't got oil today, you won't get oil after he comes. If your fire ain't burning today, it'll be too late to light your fire after he comes. My question today is the oil of God flowing into your life. Has the Holy Spirit given you the fuel so that he might set a fire that is lighted and lit that burns in you that you can't explain? That yes, sometimes you might think it's going to go out. Yes, sometimes the devil even tries to put it out. But you realize it's not your light, it's his light. And when you submit to him and you surrender to him, he puts the oil back in the lamp. He lights the fire back in your life. And you don't have anything that you can claim for it except his grace is sufficient and my God is good. Can I get an amen? That's salvation. We used to sing a little song about it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Do you remember the other part? Because they're the most important part. Jesus gave it to me, so I'm going to let it shine. Jesus gave it to me, so I'm going to let it shine. Friend, it didn't come from us. And you know what else? Anybody who's got it knows this last verse to be so true. Them little, them little Christian songs got some good theology. Them little church kid songs. The devil's trying to put it out, but I'm going to let it shine. The devil wants to put it out. But I'm going to let it shine. Why is some of us shining and some ain't? The main reason some of you ain't got oil, you ain't got the fire of God in your life. Because you can live a life that's inconsistent with what we should live. And I want you to think about this. To keep your lamp full means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled is done by asking and receiving by faith. What God's grace only can survive. You can't get it by coming to church, by reading the Bible, by getting in Bible studies, by doing good deeds, by helping people. You only get it by saying, Lord, I'm empty. I'm running low. Lord, my fire you put in me is about to go out. But Lord, I don't want to miss the wedding. Lord, I don't want to waste the invitation. Lord, I want to attend. I want to be there. Lord, will you fill me with some oil from heaven? Would you give me something that I don't deserve? Would you fill me with what lacks? Because, Lord, I want to go to the show and be there. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. I'm going to tell you what, there ain't no saints going to be marching without fire. That came from an abundant flow of oil that burned in their life to where God knew they wasn't like any other body else. Friends, these five virgins were foolish. You see, not only does being filled require that you ask and you receive by faith what God's grace offers, but it requires staying dependent on the Lord, being aware of Him in your life. 
By keeping a steady diet of his word, we're able to keep our lamps filled because his word shows us who he is. His word reminds us of his promise. His word is the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And without the word, you can't have the fire of the light. You know, we have people here today say, well, I'm just carnal. I'm going through a season. How long has that season been going on? Because I believe you can have a season of carnality. and You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can even, according to scriptures, quenching. But you can't live your entire life here. And Jesus show up. And that's how he finds you. You see, that's why he blessed us with repentance. That's why he blessed us with the ability to confess, to be honest. My light's out because my oil's low. You see, it basically means staying in tune with Jesus by trusting him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now he'll direct your path. He'll light the way. He'll light you up. And man, I'm going to tell you something. The scripture is filled with the fact that we're to be lights. You know a lamp that runs out of oil can no longer give light? And a lamp that can no longer give light is useless in that condition. We don't have oil, now we got batteries, amen? I found this light. If anybody y'all's got one like this, you're welcome to have it because I found it in the boat ramp. And it was charged, but it was a rechargeable one. And that little burger was about that long, Brother Trey. And that thing was bright. And man, when I used it at first, I, I didn't realize it. And it started getting dim, so I tried to figure out how I could put some new batteries in it. But there was nowhere to put new batteries in it. It had a little plug in the back. So I started trying to say, well, maybe I can plug it into my laptop and charge it. But I couldn't find a plug, so I Googled it at Lowe's and they had them. But I'm too tight because I ought to go buy one because then I have a charger and I have two lights, but I haven't done that yet. But you know, I kept just using it, but finally, that battery got so low that it's out. So I quit putting it in my boat and I started leaving it in the shop and I'd look around. I seen it the other day. I hadn't seen it in a long time. <laughs> and I picked it up and now it don't do nothing. And I almost throwed it away. In fact, I was fixing to throw it away and I remembered, no. When I get a little extra money, I'll go buy one of these and then I'll plug it into the charger and I'll recharge it. And it'll be good again. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about? Who needs to get plugged into the charger this morning? Who needs a little charge of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your dead Baptist life? Because your religion ain't working. In your religion, you're confused. In your religion, you're desperately not satisfied. And you're wondering, where'd God go? God ain't went nowhere. He's right where he always been. He's just waiting for you to realize he ain't there like he used to be. Do you want him back, my Christian friend? All you got to do is say, Lord, I'm empty. Put some of that oil in me this morning. Charge me up. Because, Lord, I need the light again in my life. I want to be on fire for you, Jesus, like I used to be. And some of you ain't never been on fire. You ain't never had light you can't explain. Because you've never experienced the abundant feeling of God's holy oil when he puts his spirit in you. You see... If a lamp that's out of oil that has no light is of no use, so is a professing believer 
who has no oil and has not the light of God's Holy Spirit in him anymore. You say, what you mean he ain't useful? God loves him. His soul is valuable. But for the kingdom and for bringing glory to our Lord and for accomplishing the kingdom work, we have no use without the fire and the power that comes from the oil. I don't know about y'all, but I need some premium. I need a tank of gas if I'm going to go and do the work that Jesus has called me to do. You see, when John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus, he was asked by the most religious men that there's ever been on the face of earth. The Sadducees and the Pharisees came to him. And they said, are you the one? Are you him? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not him. He said, indeed, I baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We leave that and fire out in most Baptist churches. So my question this morning is, where's your fire? What were them unwise, foolish versions lacking? They were lacking oil, which I believe with all my heart is the provision of God's Spirit and his righteousness, and his power in a person's life. Even after coming to the bridegroom, they believed themselves still able to make preparation and somehow get admitted into the wedding. That's how some of us are today. The devil's going to tempt you with that. I know I don't have what he's talking about. I ain't never been filled with this oil. I ain't got the Holy Spirit. I don't know what he's talking about when he's talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost and all that kind of stuff. Then why don't you? If you're saved, you're supposed to have that. Jesus said, that which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. Unless you're born of the water baptism and the spiritual baptism. Unless you're born of the Spirit of God, born again, you cannot enter the kingdom. And friends, I want you to think about this. This is why I knew they had a faulty belief system. After he came, after they realized they wasn't allowed to go because their lamps went out, after they realized they were out of oil, they still thought they could get some later and that they could be all right. Friend, may I tell you today, if you die, if Jesus comes without your oil, empty, without no fire, without no light, that's how you're going to live eternity. Because if he saved you today, he's in you. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he's going to make work in your life. I want you to think about this. They even believed they could borrow oil from the other virgins. Friends, you can't borrow the Holy Spirit from another Christian. You can't get the power of God from somebody else's power. It can only come from him and through him and Jesus. You know, it reminds me as we get to the place of closing that today we have to make a decision. A decision that you have to make today, right now, if you want it to affect you for sure, for eternity. Because you don't have a promise of tomorrow. Some of you, life has been interrupted this morning. You've been shaking a little bit. And you are examining yourself for the first time in a long time. I know I go to church. I know I'm, I look like everybody else. I'm pretty moral. Um, I, I mean, if you look at me, I don't look no different than anybody else. 
I know my life ain't perfect, but my life has some shine. They had some light, but their light wasn't enough. They ran out of what their light was. They needed the oil. But deep down, you know, this morning, I'm lacking oil. I don't have the oil. I don't have the fire. The light of God ain't shining out of me like it should. But you don't want to admit. And that's what costs people. That's why he said, watch and be ready. Prepare yourself so that you can be ready to meet our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, listen, this is what Paul said. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul said, we then as workers together of the Lord with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He said, do not receive the grace of God in vain. The invitation, you can, be, you can accept it today. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. That comes from Isaiah 49. It is a prophetic prophecy for Messiah and he's saying in an acceptable time I've heard you in the day of salvation I have helped you and it is quoted at least four times it's quoted in Hebrews it's quoted twice once in Romans once in 2nd Corinthians by Paul but listen what Paul added to it by inspiration of the spirit the provider of oil he says we then who are workers of God together with him are pleading with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I've heard you. And in the day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's too late after he comes. It's too late after you die. Today is your opportunity to receive the saving grace of God that will do everything that needs to be done to prepare you to be ready. All you got to do is come. But if you come, that preparation don't stop after you shake my hand, after you get dunked in the baptism. From the rest of your life, he who began a good work in you will be about completing it in the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident of him. I know how he works. It's in the Bible, and he's doing it to me and my wife and every other Christian I know that's letting him. And so, therefore, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both for will and for his good pleasure. He's working out his salvation. And I want to read this to you. It comes from Philippians, and we're going to close. When, right after Paul said that in the book of Philippians, he says, for it is God who works in you. That's in chapter 2, verse 13, if anybody wants to write it down or move there. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure, that you may be blameless and harmless children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now catch this. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Did you catch that? For those of you who's like me and you're a little slow, let me read it to you again. He says right there in verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do good for your pleasure, that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. God ain't coming to get a bunch of dead, dull Christians. He's coming to get people who because of him, 
What's different about them? They got something in them that they can't put it out. Friends, I don't know about you. There's been times where it got pretty dim, but it ain't never went out. But I can honestly say, since I got saved 25 years ago, that the light has shined more often than not. That the light, when I live my life, has made a difference in other people's lives because they've shared with me and they told me. I read a letter the other day that I hadn't got, I wish I had it right now, a young man. I called him cornbread and birdshot. It's a long story. His name's Reagan Williamson. When I went to that church in 13 years, he was about that big. When I left, he was 11th grade youth. And he said, Marvin, it pains me to say and see that you are leaving as our pastor. And he writes this beautiful letter. And he says, the main thing that makes me drawn to you is you are the closest thing on earth that reminds me of my Savior. I don't know about you, but that will humble you. When you look at all the things you know in your life that keeps you from being like him. But he's seen it. And he said, the other thing is your sense of humor is very much like my old grandpa who passed away in 2010. I went to the funeral. He said, you remind me of my papa. When you leave, I won't sleep for a few days and a few nights. But I will remember the things you taught me and I will claim my favorite scripture. Peace, I will be still and know that the Lord is my God. Man, when a youth writes that, I want to tell you something, man. Not only are you here for your life, but you're here for the life sitting next to you. What the world needs to see today, more than more programs, bigger budgets, is Christians that are on fire to the point they glow with the glory of God. And they have a light shines that they can refute. They cannot like it, but they can not reject it because it's there and it's consistent man you can have that today you can be one of the five who was prepared and ready all you got to do is repent and say lord fill me give me though i don't know about y'all but i want to be a light that shines for my lord how about you today there's lost people in this room don't mean you're bad we all bad jesus said who's good the only one good is god but you lack something have you ever been born again? Have you ever truly trusted in Calvary's provision and been saved by grace? Today you can do that. God loves you. He's calling you. He's made everything willing, but you've got to prepare and make the choice. He's saying, come while you can, for the day is your day of your salvation. Brother Jonathan, just get up this morning or let Sister Karen get up. Let's just play the piano. Maybe I, I believe in my scripture so much, maybe somebody in the praise team might need to get some Jesus time on this altar. But I'm going to tell you what, if you get filled with the oil, it probably won't happen in that pew. It's going to happen when you humble yourself and you get at the altar and you seek God. If you came dead, you'll leave dead unless you come to the one who can only give you life. His name is Jesus. And that's who I'm preaching about this morning. Do you need Jesus? You just need to come and say, I come to receive Christ. I've come to ask him to save me. I'm going to ask you to do that. We're going to stand. I'm going to say a quick prayer. And I'm going to ask you to respond as you prepare to be ready for the coming of our Lord. I want you to think about it. If this was judgment day, would you leave here the same way you came this morning? Or would you make some preparation? Would you do some adjusting in your life?
Would you get your lamp going a little brighter if this was today? Because it very well could be. Father, I have preached this. I thank you for making it real in my life. I pray that you've anointed it and made it real in others. And Lord, though it's a tragedy to know that half wasn't ready, I can't help but to rejoice to know that half was ready because of grace, because of your provision. Lord, there's one today who's lost. They know it. They're fighting. They're kicking against the goads of God. The devil's trying to tell them, wait till tomorrow. But Lord, you're telling them by your spirit to come today, that today is the day of their salvation. I pray for grace that they'll come right now. As soon as I quit this prayer, before the music even starts, they'll come forward to receive Jesus as their Savior. And there's some of us who are saved, and we've let our light get low. We've let our lamps run low. We don't have much oil. Lord, today we need a filling. We need a recharging. Would you do what only you can do in the life of your true believers? Fill us to overflowing till our cup runneth over with the holy oil of God that we may burn with a holy indignation that lights the world for you. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name today. I'm begging you to save somebody, Lord. Please let them come in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to come, please do.